morning. All right, here we go. Um, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless St. John. Open our hearts to receive your love. Make St. John to be another Nazareth, so our families may be a place where your peace and love abides. Open our eyes to recognize the gift and beauty of life, so that we may find joy in your presence among us. Grant us pure hearts seeking holiness, generous hearts full of your love, and merciful hearts ready to forgive, and tender hearts full of kindness. Make St. John to be a sanctuary of life and love, and a beacon of hope, drawing others to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, a few updates. First of all, uh, the call process is in play. So if you have a qualified candidate, please fill out the form that is in the bulletin. You have until next Sunday. All right, excellent. Um, it's going to take me a few weeks to figure out how to do this, so I'm used to teaching children. <laughs> well, Marianne, you said it, and I didn't, so I just hope I don't have to use the same uh, classroom management uh, skills. That's right. Not everyone likes to be treated like a child, though, so we'll keep it. All right, so current situation here at St. John. Uh, obviously, everyone knows, uh, beginning of August, uh, our, our call was declined. And unfortunately, uh, I thought uh, St. John, the train called St. John, was going to slow down so that the new pastor could come on board. When he declined the call, that meant the, pa the train was going to keep on going, which means we had to act quickly. Uh, and so a big thank you to Pastor Patrick Bynes to cover adult Bible study over the last two months. So thank you very much, Patrick. Um, so what that means then for uh, you know, Sunday morning Bible study uh, was we had a, a, a pastor, a fellow pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but not your St. John pastor teach adult Bible study because your new senior pastor decided to teach children instead of adults. And since everyone's a child, it shouldn't bother anybody, right? Okay. Uh, which means is that you're getting a taste of what's going to transpire from now on, is that um, in the past, we pastors had a certain set of skills particular to our person. And Leading a church isn't like a machine where you can pull out a lever and stick the same lever in or pull out the battery, stick a new battery in. You can't pull out one pastor and just stick another one in. It's an organic process. And so it's a lot easier to find a pastor who teaches adults than a pastor who thrives and loves to teach children. Now, thankfully, we have a great pastor who loves to teach adults. Patrick Bynes here. So again, once again, I can't thank him enough. But using my skills in the most appropriate way, I decided to teach children for the last two months rather than adults. That didn't mean your senior pastor did not care about you. Okay? 
just meant because of the decline call, things had to be uh, figured out. And so that also means, though, that uh, we'll have uh, not only Patrick Bynes, but we'll have Pastor Bruzek and myself teaching adult Bible study throughout the year because Pastor Nelson it is, loves teaching children, and I'm the senior pastor, so I get to, I get to, I get to decide that, I guess. So, again, though, is that um, thank, thank our Lord Jesus that we have two fantastic pastors who love to teach adults. Now, I'm not saying they don't love to teach children, but I can tell you right now that uh, it's not one of the, hey, how many people want to teach the middle schoolers? Oh, man, I, I mean, this, yeah, some of us might love it. All right, excellent. Um, I can tell you right now, when I go to the seminary, if I said, hey, hey, uh, everybody, how many people love teaching middle schoolers? We'll have less hands than, I saw a couple hands go up, praise be to God, but we'll probably have less at the seminary. So, uh, anyways, so that's a little bit of the method of the madness for now, until we receive another pastor, because right now, there's only one full-time pastor here at St. John, and that's hard for us to kind of fathom because a lot of us come on Sunday, we'll come to Joy Group on Thursday, men's Bible study or women's Bible study, and all these things are happening. Well, that was part of the plan, was we decided, I decided to plan so that our catechesis would not stop. The point of pressure, though, for caring for the parish is really in, related to what I would call like a spiritual care or... or, or um, pastoral care. Because, like, for instance, I've been contacted over the last couple of weeks, hey, pastor, do you have time this week to meet after, you know, in the afternoon or in the evening? And when I respond to them and say, actually, every evening is occupied, I can meet with you in two weeks or three weeks. It's just the truth. Uh, I'm not trying to avoid anybody. So, um, but that's just, that's just the reality of it. And, but again, of course, you know, if you know, if I got a call from, well, I'd probably send Pastor Bruzek. Um, you know, but if we get an emergency, we, we go to the hospital. It's just that sometimes um, now is the time for us to really pull together. And especially if you're caring for people, we have to care for people, not just me care for people. Okay? So anyways, so I just say that just because. Because I love you. And I don't like saying no. I have a problem with that. I just have to sometimes. Or I just say, wait two weeks. So I won't say no, I'll just say, not yet. Question? I, just for clarification. Yes. Is, is Pastor Drusek currently teaching confirmation? No. Who is teaching confirmation then? Yeah, good, good question, Michael. <laughs> I, have, I have an image. Wait. Uh, no, uh, t uh, today, actually, so yeah, good question. So there is a plethora of also, again, this is like a uh, praise be to God. We have a lot of talented people here at St. John. And we have uh, Concordia Chicago really close. And we have a field worker, Savannah Schmitz, who is teaching confirmation today. And then the next two weeks after that, Joe Willem will be teaching confirmation. And then in December, Brad and Tashiana Kigia. Oh, right here. <laughs> All these people love kids, by the way. 
So I just want to make sure for those of us who have children in confirmation, rest assured, they, uh, and also too, I help them with the lesson plan, and I try not to make it quite exclusively Pastor Nelson's lesson plans, because that would involve a variety of strange things, but <laughs> some of you know what that means. Right, John? John, you know, because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage. Because nothing, I, their relationship, when I see their relationship, by the way, for those who might not know, they're the old-time WWF wrestlers. Don't look them up. Um, when I see their relationship, I see nothing but the life of prayer. Right? I mean, isn't that what everybody thinks when they think of Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage? Not at all. I didn't think so. But Pastor Nelson does, and that's what he teaches children about. <laughs> okay, great. Um, with that, though, is uh, a big thanks. Again, I already said thanks to, to Patrick, but also thanks to everyone here. Um, one of the other things that's been really fantastic, aside from people supporting and, and you know, having these uh, pa fellow pastors fill in, which I have to say one more thing about that, is... Uh, thank you so much for your, for your giving, tending your giving. Uh, it's, uh, you know, as a senior pastor, one less thing to worry about is always helpful. And so knowing that you guys are faithfully sharing what God has shared with you is wonderful. And so thank you very much. Of course, keep tending your giving. Uh, it is a constant, it, just like you tend your prayer life, tend your devotional life. Tend your acts of mercy. There is a just a con Jesus says, Come and follow me. So we're always following. It's not like we stop. I mean, that's the thing that Jesus tells the disciples. You're not going to have a place to stay, you know? So not until we get to our heavenly home do we stop. And even there, we don't really stop. So, okay. Uh, one, one last thing about the situation, just because. Um, we, you know, it's, I don't advertise it. Uh, Pastor Fred Gady is making shut-in calls and, and hospital calls. Not all of them, but most of the hospital calls. And a big thanks to Pastor Fred Gady for doing that for us. Uh, obviously, he's not here today because he's a pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in West Chicago. But during the week, he has time to do that um, because he's part-time. There and so he uh, occupies some of his part time, extra part time work here at St. John. Question? Oh, yeah, thank you. And he teaches Joy Group. Thank you. I didn't write that down. Sorry. Yes, so he's, he's doing fantastic. Uh, great. It's, it's awesome. Very fantastic. Okay. We're going to be talking about the Holy Family for the next six weeks, and it's going to be uh, really an overview of kind of life of the church I hope to have here at St. John. So whether we get through this outline or not, don't worry. Uh, we will keep moving on. So, The future of the world and of the church passes through the family. I think this is a statement that we all might acknowledge but we might not necessarily internalize. But it's important that we do. Now, of course, sociologically speaking, it's true, right? I mean, there's no family, there's no people, and then things don't exist. However, there's a deeper meaning to the family. 
and the family being the future of the church. And it, it's precisely because of Jesus. Jesus, I mean, God enters into human history into a family. You know, many of us maybe have not reflected upon that, but not every religion believes this about God. God stays up in heaven, or maybe he comes in for a little while, and then he leaves, or she leaves, he's, you know. But, but Jesus is different. He enters into our lives precisely through the human family. And not just any family, but a particular family, the Holy Family. What is the Holy Family? Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. That's the Holy Family. But not just not just that family, but also with a particular history, and that is the family of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel. And that's important for us, as we will see here in a second. Again, hopefully everyone who's read the Bible and is, you know, does their devotions, this should all be known, but maybe pulled out in, and woven into a tapestry that you have not thought of. Okay, so with that then, the Incarnation is not just simply about Jesus forgiving my sins or joining himself with me, although that is absolutely true and positively true and something that is essential to our existence. That's the first thing. But Jesus, by entering into the family, joins himself with every other family. Okay, so, there, so this is important because Jesus restores the original meaning of the family. Genesis 1 28 through 31, God says to the male and the female, they haven't been named yet, be fruitful and multiply. That's fruitfulness. Have dominion over the earth. That's freedom. And then, of course, in chapter 2, we find out that Eve is given to Adam and Adam is given to Eve. And... In chapter 4, after Cain is born, Jesus says, huh, I, have, I, have a, a, I have a man from the help of the Lord. So the nature of the family is also gift. Fruitful, free, and gift. Now if we examine our lives and our families, those are not always three words we would describe our families. And we'll bring that up here in a second. But, through, but, but Jesus restores this precisely by being in a family, raised in a family, and then he cultivates his own family. Cultivates his own family. I don't think we think about that enough. But his mother is at the foot of the cross, and what does he do? That's right. He makes his family at the foot of the cross. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. So he cultivates family. I, I have a bunch of scripture reference there. Please look them up. In Luke chapter 11, it's the family that hears the word of God, which, of course, Mary had to have because she's at the foot of the cross, which is, that's bold. That's bold. So, so the families are restored through Christ, but formed by the church, who is precisely a family in the image of the Holy Family. So the family is actually the way of the church. And we even heard it today. 
in the service. And the prayer is specifically household, children, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. So this is something as the church that we must think about is that just as Jesus came to serve, the church considers serving the family to be one of the essential duties. So we have to think about like everything we do here at St. John are we serving the family? Now, I haven't bring up, brought up the idea of what is a family yet. So that's on purpose. Because I want you to first think about yourself and then smash that idea and think about other people. Okay, this is important because when we think about our families, almost there's kind of basically two, two feelings. One is joy and despair. <laughs> I love my family. I can't stand my family. Those are probably both real and true, actually. And when I say real, I mean realistic. Because not every family is thriving. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I didn't write, you know, the Nelson family. The Bruzek family. I didn't do that because we don't, we, don't, we don't have to even get to our own lives. We can just read the Bible about how screwed up families are. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not every family is thriving. And some will say they have no family. And I don't know if you know this, but there's people who, who have no family in the Bible. King Josiah. Queen Esther. They were orphans. However... In spite of all the anguish and the sense of pain and loss, that really never goes away. That is just not true. It's not true. Everyone can find a homeland in the church. And it, that's from Ephesians chapter 3. In the heavenly fatherhood, all fatherhood and motherhood find its meaning. I don't know how it's translated in the ESV, but it's uh, like parenthood. So with that, these are, these are this, the, I'm just describing things. This is, a, this is the milieu in which the crucible, which we're going to try to form things. With this reality, and if we've been baptized, hopefully, you know, for, for, for those who have been baptized, we have now come to experience the forgiveness of sins and the welcoming of the family. So based on that, the church mercifully and lovingly draws near because she knows the fundamental role family plays in a person's life. And, and that could be positive or negative. Think about all the times you've made decisions in your life because your parents did something. My parents did this. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> or my parents have done this. And that's what I'm going to do. So the church acknowledges that the, the fundamental role of the family in a person's life, but this is, the, this is the big thing that we'll spend quite a few t bit of time on, is the church also knows the pain from personal experience of wondering if we're left as orphans in the world. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus has said this. And it's a promise. She, uh, by the way, she is the church. We'll actually get into that later. 
well, next week. She knows everyone longs for a family. And even if someone remains single, 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 everyone lives within relationships grounded in the family. So even if you are single, you still have mothers and fathers, maybe brothers and sisters, cousins maybe. But within the church, you have all those for sure. So this is the milieu in which we are going to be living. And I would think I'm hopefully describing everyone's life, I hope. All right, so the Holy Family is the way the church and the... I have some images here. We're, these images, don't worry about these images. You're like, they're so small, I can't see them. We will, I will use them again, and I actually have one more image that's not in here that I'll bring up again. And they'll be on the TVs next week. And so don't worry. These images of the Holy Family. This first image is, is really important for us because there's two buildings in the background. On the, as you look at it, on the left side, Mary's on the left side. Jesus is in the middle. So the Holy Church and the domestic church are centered on Jesus. What is the domestic church? That's the home. That's on the right side. So Mary is the Holy Church. That's on the left side. And Joseph is the domestic church on the right side. A lot of symbolism is in there. And not every icon or picture of the Holy Family uses this symbolism. So just, just FYI, just because you're like, Pastor, you said this, but Joseph's on the left side on this one, and he's, you know. No, no, just in this particular icon, it demonstrates how the Holy Church and the domestic church are centered on Jesus. So you, ca- you can't follow Jesus without exercising your discipleship in both places. So what happens this morning directly affects what happens at, at home. And so, you know, we've heard it in the past, hey, you know, your faith isn't just, you know, one day of the week, it's every day. But that's true. Because you, because you live in a family, that's why. So next, then, is what characterizes the life of faith in the Holy Church and the domestic church? By the way, that phrase domestic church, you know, I didn't make it up. This, that's why I capitalized it. Uh, it's an old term from a long time ago. You know, even within Lutheranism, and I, I can't remember if John Kleinig ever talked about this here, but he has some great lectures if you want to go on his website. He talks about the family altar. Have you ever heard that? There's a connection. Okay, so back in the Old, I'll just real quick. In the Old Testament, there was a connection between the prayers done in the temple and the prayers done in the home. And then it got, it kind of, you know, that existed because there was a connection between the, the bronze, the big altar, and the hearth at home. Does anyone have a hearth, by the way? I have a gas stove. That's as close as I get to the hearth as possible. But anyway, so that's an old, that's, that's already from the Old Testament, the connection between the temple and the hearth. And then, of course, then that gets played out then into the New Testament and Christian history. Those are, so those are just phrases. I mean, I could just say, you know, St. John and the home are centered on Jesus. But I, I like to use the Holy Church and domestic church. All right, so the way of life in both of those, grounded in Christ means then love is a way of life. And that image is 
Joseph holding Mary with baby Jesus. Um, it's, I, it's a beautiful statue. I think it's called a quiet moment or something like that. I, I love the statue because Joseph, uh, his, his lap is like a cradle or like a manger even. And there is uh, a, a beautiful image, of course, because of his, it's very tender. It's a tender image. But if maybe if we were standing next to it, we would also see the fact that Joseph is huge. <laughs> so you have this guy, you know, who walks in the door. I mean, he's a tender man, obviously. But if he has you, he'll kick your butt. You know, this is like, this is a beautiful image. So you have this, this tenderness and this strength exhibited and it's meant for this beautiful image of Mary with baby Jesus. And of course, Jesus is in the middle, in the center, next to both hearts. And he is resting. I could go, we could go on for a real long time about that. But just, you cannot live without love. In fact, without love, you remain someone that is incomprehensible. Even to yourself. Your life does not make sense without love. And I think we've all experienced this, whether you've articulated it that way. When, you, when let's say, uh, you're, you have a rough moment with your family, or your marriage, or with your buddies, or you know, whatever, and you're, you feel isolated. You're like, the feelings of hurt and anger or um, despair are signs that it's not meant to be that way. It doesn't make sense. It should be different. But it's true. See, but once love is revealed to someone, when he or she encounters love, experiences love, and then makes it his or her own, and what that means is, uh, I should have, like, what, he internalizes it. It's not an abstract idea, but it's actually in us, part of us, living through us, that's participating in it intimately. Then life makes sense. And then you understand purpose. There's this sense of joy and contentness. And we're really surprised by it. Because those moments are probably less than more. And, but when those happen, we're like, oh, that's, this is the way it's supposed to be. Okay, so that's the way of our life inside the church and then even at the home. So again, whatever happens at church is supposed to flow into the home, and vice versa, back and forth. So within the family, why, why is that? That's, not, that? that's because of the life of Christ inside the person brings the life of the Holy Trinity in the person. So the family actually mimics the Holy Trinity in the giving and receiving between, between people. The love of God is free, it's fruitful, it's faithful, it's giving, it's receiving. And then the family is supposed to resemble that. That's why all these images, except for the first one, have sort of this kind of circular pattern. Is that, and especially in the quiet moment, there is a triangular pattern. Is that, so again, this is something where we're meant for God's love within the family. Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, creates a family. And that's the way it should be. 
or it's supposed to be. God wants it that way. And so, why did he want it that way? Well, because that's, that's who he is. God made the universe to share his love. And what did it look like? Well, it looks like a family. You know, I, again, you, got, you know, I'm sure we... You know, because God didn't have to make anything. God does not have to make anything. He, he, this is maybe a, a very philosophical discussion here, but God does not need anything. So he didn't have to make the world. He was comp- it just, he's fully himself, perfectly himself, without the universe. So the fact is, is that he made the universe for something besides something he needed. Now, if you know any Greek mythology... They, they, want, they wanted the world because, they, you know, there's something wrong with them. They need these people to say, hey, aren't you awesome? Or I need something from somebody. That's not God. It's not the Heavenly Father, okay? The fact that we're here <laughs> means that God wanted us here. So our, by nature, we're, we're actually gift, and we're meant to then live within that love. Okay, so how does that happen? So this is all foundational stuff. Well, we have to start with the divine service. Rebirth and formation. By means of rebirth of baptism formed through God's word, a person's introduced into God's family. Amen. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Hopefully. Okay. I was hoping you guys were going to join in. But... By the way, when we have baptisms, feel free to join in. I think everyone does that one, but nobody, like, a lot of people don't feel comfortable saying the other ones, but I don't know if you knew this, but, like, contrary to what a lot of people would like to do with my children, I like to speak for them. (laughs) So, uh, in holy baptism, feel free to speak for them. Do you renounce the devil in all his ways? Yes, I renounce him. Everybody can say it. In fact, you would make your senior pastor very happy if you all said it. Because then I'm like, whew, it's good. Everyone believes this. All right. Uh, Okay, so one of the interesting things about the divine service then, too, as it forms the family, is you have to realize that this is, what you get in the divine service, you can only get in the divine service. God's word and sacraments are given for you for the forgiveness of sins in the divine service. So you don't go to, I mean, we've, I know Pastor Brzezik's talking about this a lot, so just real quick. You don't go to church for a data dump. You go to church for a life, God's life. He forgives your sins and then fills you up with himself. So that, on, that happens here and only here. So it's like the lifeblood of your family. By proclaiming the word of God, the church reveals to the Christian family its true identity. Remember, because a lot of us believe families should be broken. I mean, we're not going to like it, but we're just like, oh, that's just the way it is. Well, no, that actually is not the way it needs to be. The church reveals to the Christian family its true identity, even though the church can be imperfect at it. We have been given the calling to do this. So it's true identity, what it is, and should be according to the Lord's plan, which is a fruitful, free gift. By celebrating the sacraments, 
The church enriches and strengthens the Christian family with the forgiveness of sins by the continuous proclamation of the life of love. The church encourages and guides the Christian family to the service of love. The old story about, you know, the husband and wife who go to the wedding counselor and the wedding counselor says to the wife, you know, what's wrong? She says, my husband never says I love you. Husband's perplexed. What are you talking about? I say I love you. Don't you remember when I said it to you on our wedding day? (laughs) We need the continuous proclamation of life of love. Maybe we just need it because we like to hear it, but I would, I would, my, my main point here is we primarily need it because we forget it and we just don't believe it. We don't trust. That's original sin. So, how am I supposed to love my family with God's love if I'm not filled up with God's love? Which it can't happen. I mean, you could, you could say, I'm going to go to the Gulf Range. I said this, uh, did we talk about this at men's Bible study? Maybe, I can't remember. Taking your Bible and going into the woods is not the same as hearing God's word and receiving the sacrament. You are not your own. You're not your own. You live in community. So the first things first, is, and we're probably not going to spend too much time on that in general, because I think most of us understand that. In fact, I think when a lot of us visitors come, I mean, a lot of us, well, I'm not a visitor, but a lot of us, visit, a lot of visitors who come to see us or visit with us, they acknowledge that whatever happens here at church it, it's something that they like. They love the worship service. They, you know, they love the music, the beauty. But the thing they know the most, that the reason why they love the beauty and the music and all that stuff is because they love the beauty of the lives that are out in the commons. The joy. Now again, we're not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. However... Jesus, is, Jesus does something. He's, he's perfect. So we shouldn't be surprised that it works on us sometimes, okay? And, so, and we give thanks. That's why. We, we don't thank ourselves. We boast in the Lord, and we give thanks to God for it to happen. That's the first step. Next, prayer. Uh, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, great grip of hands, put down the stake, you know, and had the homestead. Uh, Nelson dairy farm and when I was growing up we would you know Christmas and Thanksgiving Easter you know go out to the farm and it was an all-day experience I mean Chris I mean Christmas Day especially was just amazing as a kid we go to the early service drive out to the country go to the early service go to church then we go to grandpa and grandma's all the kids would screw around for a little while, and then we'd have dinner, you know, which lasts forever. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe let's say it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That'd be about a two-hour dinner, because at the Nelsons, you start at 12. <laughs> By the way, dinner. <laughs> dinner is lunch. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. <laughs> I saw Milena here, and uh, we've I've been talking about Portuguese and how <laughs> dinner does not mean lunch in Portuguese. It means supper. Okay, not supper. 
sorry, dinner at 12. <laughs> yeah, so we go for a couple hours. Then usually people start cleaning up. The kids go screw around out in the snow. We go out into the woods. Da, 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 and then we get back about, I don't know, 5 o'clock-ish. And all the old-timers would have cups of coffee, pickled herring, cheese, sausage. This, there's always food around. And then, you know, some pies or whatever. It's freezing. You're freezing outside. You know, it's Christmas. It's cold. It's getting dark. You go inside. And then you just sit there. As a kid, you'd sit there and eat your pie, and you would listen. You listen to all the old-timers talk. And you never joined into that conversation, though. Never. Until. Until you knew exactly what they were talking about, which was maybe when my early 20s, mid-20s. <laughs> At that time, though, like my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, they, were, they actually were inviting me into this conversation. That's exactly what prayer is. Prayer is joining the family conversation that began at the beginning of the universe. So God has been speaking to you since the creation of the universe. Genesis 1. And then later in John chapter 6, verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That means forwards and backwards. Jesus has been talking for eternity. And prayer is joining into that conversation, which means prayer is essential to our humanity. It's not like something that we, just, you know, we only do when we become Christians. We might know how to do it and who to talk to as Christians, and that's part of the gospel is showing that to the world that doesn't know who God is and doesn't know how to get in touch with them. But because God has made them for that conversation, we are then bringing them into that conversation. So, of course, it's part of the Christian life. But we, as Christians, should recognize that this is part of our humanity. Right? This, so it's not, you know, I mean, of course, we have other religions will pray. But again, they're praying to, not to God. I mean, they're not praying to our Heavenly Father. Because they're not praying through Jesus. Through Jesus, that we, God, we know that God hears us. But we also pray because our heart has been meant for prayer and, and our, our heart is meant for God. And this is the way our, we form our families. This is why we do it here at church. And then uh, this is how we're going to do it in, in, our, in our domestic churches. And the one icon where Jesus is touching the face of Mary um, there's two aspects to this, and that is Jesus helping the church. Again, he's communicating his love and tenderness to the church, uh, the divine service, which happens on Sunday morning. And then, of course, he's also bringing, that in, bringing her into the conversation. And, how, you know, of course, how do we do that? Is by our Father. That's our family prayer. It's, it's by the family, it's for the family, and we do it with the family which then also then characterizes its liturgical prayer, corporate prayer, and then private prayer, personal prayer, family prayer. These are all connected. Again, probably not going to spend too much time over the next six weeks on this. But these next parts, we will. So the fact that I only have five minutes to do this is helpful, because we'll spend more time on it. 
as a family, as the Holy Family, uh, divine service and prayer, then the next thing is hospitality. And within hospitality, we have a proposition or an invitation. We have a family full of life, which is mercy. And then we have a family that's all about sharing and building a community. In all these icons, there is an invitation happening. This one explicit, where Mary is saying, hey, with her right hand, come on, here it is, this guy. And then, of course, uh, Joseph has got the finger. He's pointing this guy. Jesus, this guy right here. Uh, by the way, why is Joseph holding lilies? It's from Hosea chapter 14, I think verse 5 or something. You can look it up. That's why it's in there, though. Joseph and Mary are doing this because they, they've witnessed Jesus. They've witnessed what Jesus does. Luke chapter 2. Shepherds come in. They say all these things about it. They're like, what is going on? Are you sure? Pondering in their hearts. And then, of course... Later in life, this is what, you know, Mary, Mary, do whatever he says. So, sitting at the feet of Christ, the church learns the path by which the family reaches the heart of the deepest truth about itself. Okay? So we understand who we are, and since we understand who we are, we're very confident. I know who I am. I know who we are. So we're set free by the truth and, and we're not going to force people. We never impose this, but we tenderly invite everyone without fear and with great confidence and hope. Our life now, our, our, our understanding of hospitality is from a place of joy and confidence because we know who we are as God's children. First John chapter 3, I did not plan that. that was, I, was, I was reading it at the 8.30 service. I was like, oh, it's perfect for a Bible study. We... Of course we're going to be hospitable. We know, we know who we are. And we see people who are struggling. And like Mary says, look at this guy. Or Joseph, look at that guy. We bring people then into it. But as the small catechism says in the first article, uh, you know, the uh, father tenderly, this is this idea of tenderness, and then going back to Joseph and the statue, Joseph is tender, but he's strong. So we're very confident, we're strong, but we are tender. And that's what hospitality is. You have to know what you're doing and be tenderly inviting people into it. So you're, we're witnesses to the truth, and we, that's part of the witness. I think a lot of us think, I have to know these propositions and I have to argue people into Jesus. Uh, no, you have to be hospitable and tenderly invite people to Jesus by saying, he's forgiven my sins. All the things that have, all my brokenness has been put back together and now I know who I am. Why wouldn't you come? Why wouldn't you invite people to that? Right? I know, I know it can be scary. Especially if we talk about closed communion. Oh, man, I don't know what to say, Pastor. How am I going to say that? We'll talk about it. We'll cover it. All right, next. Ooh, I got long-winded here. 
All right, let's, let me, okay, so we'll talk about mercy and then tithing and alms and sharing our goods. Uh, we'll do that over the next few weeks. But I just want to finish this last thing here, is the reason why I, I really want to make the family, like, well, the future of the world and the church passes through the family is because of two things, just my own experience and... The experience of others. My own experience. My kids love coming to church. I mean, for the most part. They don't make me not like 8.30. (laughs) But I think some of your kids like coming to church, too. And I want to make sure that happens forever and ever. And what that means, then, though, is that there is a future to the church, but also we are beginning to learn what it takes to keep the family together. And that goes to the second point, is, you know, people who moved away from St. John, you know, jobs, things that they can't control. I understand that. But then I've talked to some people who have left because they've chosen, and I, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said, we miss St. John deeply. Or... It's just not the same. And they struggle. And, you know, for some people, I, I challenge. I said, so, did you make the right choice? And some say no. They hated Illinois. They, you know, they hated this and that. And they thought, oh, man, it, you know, it's going to be so easy to find a new place and get incorporated. And they found out that's not true. And so I want... St. John, to be that place. I want that to be that place where someone comes and says, I'm not moving. What are you talking about? It's my family. Now, again, uh, things that are not under our control. I mean, I understand. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we need to seriously look at our lives and plan around what's most fundamental because everything else will pale in comparison to that very point. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.